So the first thing is to recognize that they're probably terrified of sales because of what they know, what they think sales is, is what they think sales is, right? It's cheesy people who are pushy and talk too much and hucksters and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, that's a real thing. That, that stereotype didn't come from nowhere. And it's funny the the counter to this is people that think they're naturals at sales. That often means that often shows is they talk too damn much and they're pushy. And so I think those that come to it with some humility and say, I don't have any idea how to do this. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and what I show people is, look, you're just having real conversations. I want you to be sincerely curious about other people. I can give you some structure around how to have a sales call, but the reality is you're just getting people to tell you yes and no, and no is perfectly okay. You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. Okay, get ready for a truly exceptional interview. On this interview, I talked to Walker McKay, my good friend and um, one of the most impressive sales trainers and coaches that I have ever worked with, ever known. He is truly exceptional in what he does. And he works with sales teams, but he also works with individual founders on helping them learn how to sell. And his whole approach is much more sort of human-centric, much more about building real relationships, being honest, being transparent, His whole philosophy is one that I know is going to seriously resonate with all of you. You're going to learn a ton and you're probably by the end going to say, oh my God, I need to talk to Walker. Um, But we have an amazing conversation. We talk about going through hard shit and he's very open and transparent about the struggles he's had in his own business, in his own life, and how he has navigated those and come out stronger on the other side. So this one is informative, it is educational, it is funny, it is inspiring as hell. And he is just a wonderful human. He's also got a great voice. So he is fantastic to listen to. So get ready and listen to Walker McKay. Walker, I am so incredibly excited to have this conversation with you. Before we kind of get into the real questions, Walker McKay, who the heck are you? What do you do? Ah, well, first of all, I'm among your biggest fans. 
Um, the feeling I, is very mutual. Well, thank you. I have, um, by the way, for those of you listening to this podcast, if you want to do Casey a big favor, and I know you do because you're getting value from this, I want you to subscribe to her podcast. And even more importantly, I want you to write a review. You're listening to this on probably on Apple Podcasts. I want you to write a review of the show as you hear it. Stars are great, but write words about how much you enjoy it. That will really help her and help boost this podcast so other people can hear it. So Thank now you, that we finished with that, Casey, I am a uh, sales coach and trainer. And what I've come to realize about myself is that I really believe in the power of intentional transformation. And that we all grow and change, well, we all change over time, but that if we're intentional about, about what we want to change and we work towards that, it can make a huge difference in where we end up. And so I help people be more intentional about the transformations that they're making. And this is so true about salespeople and sales teams. Sales has changed so much in the last five years. And, and 10 years, and certainly 20 years, and I feel like there needs to be a force to help people transform so they can stay up with what's going on today, so they can stay relevant and make money and be of value to other people. Oh, I love everything about this. And now I'm going to return the favor here. So I want to just say for everybody listening, I have a I have a long history in sales. That's where I started my career. I have worked with salespeople. I have attended so many different sales trainings. And I have learned more from Walker in this last year that we have been friends and that I've gotten to attend his group coaching program than in the previous, what, 15 years that I have been either in sales or working with salespeople or anything, anything else. And his approach is... I love that you talked about intention because it is super intentional and way too often in life in general, but especially in sales and sales conversations, we kind of, you know, we go with the flow or we're good at talking to people. And so we just let it happen and we wind up missing real opportunity and more importantly, real connection to our buyers, to our prospects. And you have an incredible process and methodology around how do you get to the real shit? How do you make it a real connection and a real deep, meaningful conversation instead of just like shooting the breeze and, and small talk? We talk about getting away from professional visiting. Hey, how you doing? How's your mama? As we say down South. And instead, have, learn how to have better business conversations with people that often may feel like uh, uncomfortable, but it's the conversations we need to have to build business. Okay. So Walker, I'm particularly excited for this conversation with you because you are, you are one of those people that, that I've known you for a long time now and we are very close and I know you very well, but you still regularly surprise me with the depth and the the sort of self-reflection that you go through and that you're also willing to share. And, you know, this podcast is all about, and you've already kind of touched on it, the fact that we learn the most through the hard shit, right? Like I would love it if when good things happened, we were super self-reflective <laughs> about trying to figure out how that happened, but we don't yes, do that. We just no. focus on how it's awesome and move on to the next thing, right? And so I want to know you've you've built an incredibly successful and and really powerful business training salespeople and training sales teams. But tell us a little bit about an experience or a story that you've got 
that was the hard shit, the tough stuff that ultimately led to most transformational growth that you've experienced? Well, I mean, I don't want to single myself out because I think all of us, if we're reflective, we've all go through hard shit and we're all going, everybody that you see around you right now or that you're around or that you're near you is going through something really hard. And I think that's one thing we have to recognize when somebody acts out of character or they're grumpy or an asshole or whatever, that maybe it's because they're dealing with their probably dealing with something you have no idea about that may be hard for them. And for some people, what was it, Woody Allen, who said, if, you, if a manhole cover is off and you're walking down the sidewalk and you fall in, that's funny. If I get a thumb, if I have a hangnail, that's a tragedy, right? So point is, right, it's all, it's all relative to what we're dealing with. I think what you're referring to, or among the things I guess that I'm okay talking about, I worked, I had a, I thought I had a business partner and I worked with him for 11 years. I figured out that we weren't a great fit. I kept getting very frustrated and I realized that, you know, basically it was his business and who the hell was I to say he needed to change it. And so what I needed to do was to leave. And I'm the eternal optimist. I'm also very ADHD. And so when I make up my mind about something, I just pull the fucking ripcord and go. And I've got just a little background. I've got a, a beautiful wife and two children who are teenagers. They're in private school. We just built a you know, in our, we wasn't a castle or anything. We built a nice 3,500 square foot custom built house just the way we wanted on some family property that we bought. And things were cruising along. I was doing very well. And, um, but I kept getting more and more frustrated. And just because I didn't, I, I was not feeling the love with my partner. I didn't love what I was doing with him. I didn't like being uncomfortable in my office. So one day I went to him and I said, how are you an apology? I haven't had my head in the game for a year. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I don't belong here. And what I told myself, and I think I told my wife, look, man, I have, someone will scoop me up. Well, I'll get another gig. It's going to be something different. It's going to be fine. There'll be somebody that pays me a lot of money to do what I do. It'll be fine. And so I quit and I had a bunch of people call and say, hey, way to go. Good for you. Congratulations. Knew you got on your own at some point. What are you going to do? I'm like, uh, I don't really know. And nobody called to say, hey, come work for us. So I was like, holy shit. And I gave myself 90 days. I had 90 days worth of money that I could kind of futz around with until I had to get a job. And I mean, like day 70, I had no job. I was like, fuck. And so I said, well, I guess I better start my own. But I had a non-compete with my other company. I couldn't do training. I couldn't do coaching. Couldn't do any of that stuff. And I knew that he would go after me if I did. So somebody did call and say, hey, I can't afford to pay you to be my um, sales manager. You've trained me for a long time. I hate doing it. Will you come do it for me part-time? And I said, well, okay, that's better than anything else I've been offered. And then another company offered me the same thing. And so I had okay income. And I realized if I had four clients like this, I could make an okay living. The problem was I couldn't ever get four clients at the same time. So our, my income was up, down, up, down, up, down, and I hated the work. And at some point, we had to make a choice. Financially, we were in a freaking ditch. And I said, um, my wife was fraught. She was upset. I think she had some little job at the time, and we weren't making it. And we, she said, we got to sell the house or get the kids out of private school. And we, as we talked about that, I said, you know, if we pull the kids out of private school, that's to protect our ego. If we sell the house, that's to protect our children. And so we sold the house and we didn't been there three or four years, I guess. We sold the house and we moved into a rental house about between a half and a third the size. 
big ego blow. We had, it was kind of a, you know, people knew. And it was kind of a high, pro, not, not high profile, but people freaking knew that I was struggling, which sucks because I'm 50, not 57, I was 50 at the time. And um, so anyway, we lived in that little rental house where we thought it was going to be six months, ended up being three and a half years until we got to the point where I had gotten my business rolling enough that we were able to scrape together a down payment and buy another house. So anyway, that, and there's all kinds of stories in there of risks that I took and mistakes that I made. But that challenge made me realize if I can go through that and keep my family together and grow a business, I can... There's nothing that can stop. Only I can stop me at that point, right? Does that make sense? Yes. There's nothing that teaches us how incredibly strong and resilient we are than going through the really, really tough stuff. And coming out on the other side, you know, maybe, I'm, and I'm guessing, a little, a little closer as a family, a little more focused on the stuff that really matters, right? Not the, not the stuff, right. but the connection and the relationship. Yeah. And the house that we bought is about, I don't know, a third less size than the one we built. We have less furniture. I have less junk. And that's okay. You know, it's perfectly fine. Anyway, so yeah, I'm in a much better place. I know that if I lost it all tomorrow, I wouldn't like that. But I could build it back. One of the things that I think makes you such a good trainer and coach is that you you really can empathize when people are struggling. It's not, you know, it's it's funny. I was talking to a, a friend over the weekend and she was saying how she really hates it when she sees like makeup tutorials on social media with like drop dead gorgeous models. She's like, what is this? That, how does this help me? Like, I want to see someone who is normal looking transform themselves into, you know, some va-va-voom kind of model using makeup. And it's the same thing, right? Like you're a more powerful coach and trainer because you know what it's like to kind of be there and to struggle. And to start over and make calls to people that don't want to talk to me or that they can tell that I'm struggling. I had one of my clients, one of my first clients, individual coaching client, and he had been with me a year and he was good. I thought he was going to read for a second year. He goes, no, I think I'm good. And I said, no, no, I really think you need more. He said, no, really. And I said, I, we're just getting started. He goes, do you need the money? And I said, yep. He goes, money's on the way. I'll pay it. And I said, you pay it. You're a client for life, not another dime. And quite frankly, had it not been for that on that day, I wouldn't have, I don't know that I'd have made it. I'd have made it maybe, right? But I couldn't have paid my bills. At one point, this is, God, I was 51, 52. I had to go to a buddy of mine whose office was across the hall and, and say, I can't pay my water bill. They're going to cut my fucking water off in my house if I can't pay the water. Will you lend me $300 or something? And he said, sure. And I mean, those are the kind of things that, I mean, God damn, that's humbling. And he was willing to help and um, I'd do anything for him. I wouldn't do anything for him anyway, but he, you know, and that's not that much money, but it was a lot to me. It was a lot to me. And I had to show up every day and keep not acting like I was. I had to, when I was prospecting, I had to act like it didn't matter if somebody bought or not. And that's the key. They may want to buy from a desperate person, but they, what that means is they want to take advantage of you. And I could not have that happen. So I'm curious, that meant that you had to build this business from the ground up. 
And some of it, you know, when we are in kind of a, a tough spot, we've got to make choices based on that, not on what we want in the long term. But I know you've you've had the opportunity to really build something that is very much aligned with who you are and what matters to you and and have built a, a pretty amazing business. So I'm curious, going through all of this, what how did that change what you ultimately wanted? from this experience of being an entrepreneur? So what did my going through all that mess, what did that change? You know, I I think it made me more realistic about what was important. I mean, I think there were times in my life when I thought I'd be a billionaire. Maybe I didn't think that, but, but maybe I thought I would have, you know, 10, 20, 30, $50 million. And I wouldn't turn that down now. But what I really, you know, it's funny, what I really, really wanted what I really wanted was to be able to pay my taxes in the quarter that I made the money. And it's so funny. That was been my number one financial goal is pay my freaking taxes in the quarter that I earned the money. And for the last two years, last eight quarters, I've been able to do that. And to me, that's a freaking win. And if you've never had to write a check for the quarter for your taxes, that probably doesn't make any sense to you. But if you have, it's a bear. It sucks. And I, and it's weird because I used to hate, <clears throat> I don't love it now, but I used to hate paying my taxes. But now the way I look at it is, oh, I've got the money. I'm so happy I can do this. I hate doing it, but I'm so happy I can do this. So that's been the difference is I don't care about a lot of things. I just don't want to have to worry that the tax man's going to come get me or they're going to cut my water off or whatever else. So let me tell you a story because this, this can help explain where I am. So I learned this. I don't know where I heard this, but I'm stealing it. It's my own now. So if you tell anybody else's story, you give me credit the first two times after that, it's your own, right? All of you listening. So look at your life as if you are living in one of three boats. First boat is a, is a raft and you're floating down the river and you're going wherever the river takes you and you're bouncing off rocks but you're just kind of going along as life would have you, either because you feel trapped and there's nothing you can do about it, or because you're like, yeah, what can I do about it anyway? This is okay. And I was, when I worked with this partner before, I was in a raft. We were making good money. It was going okay. I didn't really have to worry about much. I was just bumping along down the raft. And then when I, the second boat you can be in is a rowboat. And a rowboat, God, dog, I've been in one of these. The rowboat is when you look behind you, you're looking behind you, you're rowing like hell to get away from what it is, from where it is you were, from where it was you are, whatever the hell that's supposed to say, right? Get leaving. And you're looking at that, you're like, get me the hell away from this thing. I picture like a whale coming after somebody, you know, right? You're getting the hell away from the whale. And then the third boat is a canoe. And a canoe, you're facing forward. And you're looking to where you want to go. And I just picture this being a big lake, right? And I see lights on the other side of the lake. And that's where I'm headed. I'm paddling. And the boat's going left, right, left, right. But I see where I want to go. And so I have, in the past 18 months, I think, I've been able to go mostly from the rowboat to the canoe, where I feel like I'm now... I have accepted a responsibility for where I am. I can move forward. I can make plans and work towards those plans, knowing that there are going to be waves that make it tip. We're going to get bounced out of the way, but that's where I'm trying to go. 
So I've recently moved, you know, and it, I think it's back and forth from into their canoe. And that's what's so cool to me. Does that make, does that story resonate with you? 100%. And I absolutely love that. And that's not what, where I thought you were going and I freaking love it. So, but I think this brings up what you were saying kind of at the beginning of this conversation around intention. How do you figure out, you know, that it's, it's this marriage of intention and growth, right? So how do you figure out in your life, one, the direction you want to grow in and two, where you need to be more intentional in order to make that happen? So, and this is, would be very personal for each of us, right? So um, it's, and, you know, I think Simon Sinek has said it and it's gotten so freaking overdone, you know, your why, what is your, what's your reason? You know, what is it you're going for and, and, and how important is that to happen? And so for me, as I've gotten in my canoe, I want to be able, and maybe this is a short sell of myself. I don't, I'm not thinking intergenerational wealth is something that's going to happen. I'm not going to make my grandchildren, I'm not going to be proud of granddaddy because he left in so much money. But I want to be able to live comfortably, live well. I want to be able to, I want my wife to stop working. My goal is by the end of this year to have my wife quit a job that she had to take because we needed the money. And growth for me is being is working smart enough my business, attracting the right people, clients, and people around me that I can build a business that I can say to Sally by the end of the year, guess what, baby? You don't have to work anymore. You can do what you want to do. And if that's find a job, find a job. If you don't want to do that for a while, that's fine too. And so that's my short-term, that's my short-term thing. And there really is, other than the safety of my family, nothing more important to me than that. And But that takes some... And everybody's got to find their own thing. Longer term, I would like to be able, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really envision myself retiring because I don't want to. I love what I'm doing. And the other thing that drives me that I realize is I love helping people grow and for them to feel that and see that. And that gives me energy. And so, you know, to do that, guess what? I got to go sell more and I got to train more. And because I feel like that I've got this thing that I need to share. I don't know if I answered your question. And I, I do think that's something, I don't know, I think about a lot is the, how do you feel called to serve, right? Like, what, what is that gift that you have to share with the world, the message you want to deliver that, you know, whatever that thing is. But don't, do you think it's good advice though, Casey? Do you think it's good advice to give somebody, you know, find your passion and chase it? Do you feel, because I feel like that's a, I mean, that's a neat thing to say, but a lot of people, they, they work because, and work in itself is not the passion, but work is the vehicle that allows them to pursue their passion outside. That's it. And I will say like, look, I don't like the, oh, find your passion and pursue it because it leads people to think like, I don't know, I can do my hobby for a living and it's not that, but you can figure out what you are passionate about. And, and I agree with you, your work is the vehicle for it. And so when you have a real understanding of sort of what lights you up, you can find ways in thousands of different jobs to find those opportunities and to do that. That's your why. That's your why. It's the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And, and I had a, I had a, um, a client that came to me, I don't know, a couple of years ago and 
he was a financial advisor. He's making almost a million bucks a year. And his house was paid for and his kids were out of college. And I said, why in the hell do you think you need help with sales? And he said, well, he said, I made a commitment to my church. He said, I send missionaries to Russia every year. And he said, right now I'm sending, I think it was 10 at $15,000 a piece. And he said, my church has asked me to send 25. And I want to make sure that I can do that and still achieve the rest of what I want to achieve financially. And that was the reason. And that was his gap between where he is versus where he wants to be. It doesn't have to be that you want a bigger house or that you want all things. It can be something else. Although I will tell you, I don't believe it's wrong to want more things. No, I don't think it's wrong to want more things. But I think, you know, I, I read something recently that really kind of blew my mind. And they were talking about the difference between ends goals, end goals and means goals. Ooh, tell me more. Well, what they were kind of saying is like, sometimes we think my goal is I want to make a lot of money, but it's not about the making the money. It's about what that money gets you. And so we need to sort of differentiate between what is an end goal and a means goal, because the end goal PS is way more inspiring and motivating. And when the chips are down, that's going to be the thing that keeps us going. And so if we can know that, yeah, we do want more stuff. But we want more stuff because that makes our home life more fulfilling or it gives us a level of status in our community or whatever it is. Whatever so your boat. Yeah. And I, but I think about that a lot, right? The end goal versus the means goal. And money is the means. Money is the right? means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you were saying, you know, your job is the vehicle for you to act out that passion or deliver that passion to and the world. And lucky for me, and I think lucky for you, we get, you and I get to combine those things. Yes. And I feel like that is, that is something that, that is a gift. Truly. And it's something that is, is um, I am lucky to have and lucky to have discovered. And, and those of us that find that, good for us. However, I think everybody needs to find their passion, whatever that may be, and go towards it. But maybe that's not your job. Yeah. When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still want to help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. So I'm curious, I want to talk a little bit about you know, your expertise around sales, because obviously this is a podcast for founders and entrepreneurs. And in my view, every entrepreneur needs to know how to sell. One of the biggest mistakes I see founders make is they, they're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I'm just going to hire someone. And it never really works. When you are working with someone who is really like a first-time salesperson, what, what's some of the stuff that winds up being the, the most helpful 
for getting them from feeling kind of terrified of the whole thing and realizing like, wait, I actually can do this. Interesting. It's an interesting question. It's something that I deal with a lot. So the first thing is to recognize that they're probably terrified of sales because of what they know, what they think sales is, is what they think sales is, right? It's cheesy people who are pushy and talk too much and hucksters and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, that's a real thing. That, that stereotype didn't come from nowhere. And it's funny, the, the counter to this is people that think they're naturals at sales. That often means, that often shows is they talk too damn much and they're pushy. And so I think those that come to it with some humility and say, I don't have any idea how to do this. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and what I show people is, look, you're just having real conversations. I want you to be sincerely curious about other people. I can give you some structure around how to have a sales call. But the reality is you're just getting people to tell you yes and no and no is perfectly okay. It's, there's nothing beyond that. If somebody tells you no, hey, give them a hug, move on. And I think, too, uh, just little things like getting permission to have a business conversation. People always talk about, oh, don't sell to your friends. It's horrible. Don't try to sell to your friends. Yet they go into sales and try to make freaking friends with everybody. I mean, what is, what a, it doesn't make sense to me. And so even if you just, ha- when you're having a conversation, so even just a social conversation, you can say, hey, do you mind if we have a business conversation? Most people are desperately afraid. How do I bring up business? Ask permission. Hey, do you mind if we have a business conversation? Another thing that we do is tell people to, just like that, to manage expectations. Here's what I've come to talk to you about. I'd like to talk to you about whether or not it makes sense for us to do business together. Are you okay having that conversation? Just be straight up. As my, my, the name of my business is No BS Sales School. I told my mother it stands for no bad salespeople, but the rest of y'all probably have a different idea of what that means. And what I want people to be is straight up, no bullshit. Have real conversations with people. Don't be afraid to say, sounds like we're not going to be the right fit. Sounds like you don't need what I do. And be honest about it. You know, one of the things that that I appreciate about your approach is that it is really emphasizing the, the being direct and being transparent. And this idea of setting expectations, it's, I think a lot of us struggle with this in sales, but also our our personal lives. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the things I very much appreciate about your approach is it really, it's like universally applicable. It doesn't have to be about sales. It's really just about getting to the heart of an issue with someone. So I have four rules, four mindsets that we kind of go off of that kind of film around or that kind of form around here. Number one is you're not the right fit for everybody. You need to know that from the beginning. A lot of bad, bad sales management and sales training is like, oh, everybody can buy from you. You should be, you should sell everybody. Bullshit, right? You're not the right fit for everybody. They may not be ready for you yet. Uh, even if you sell oxygen, somebody may not be ready for you yet, right? And the second one is ask, don't tell. Go in with the idea where not people are like, oh, I got to educate my prospects. Bullshit. You need to educate yourself on what, what your prospect is going through. Go there with sincere curiosity about what's really going on in their life. What's their situation? What's their background? What's the reason they took the time to meet with you? And why in the world would they make a change? And go in a little bit skeptical. You're not the right fit for everybody. Ask, don't tell. The third one is to realize that you are equal to every single person on the planet. You have equal business stature is what we call it. You're no better. You're no worse. 
And I have a thing that makes people, especially in the South, that drives them, makes, I mean, I think somebody almost punched me in the face one time. They get really mad. Is I say, call everybody by their first name. Everybody, I don't care. with Bill Gates is freaking Bill. Because as soon as you call somebody Mr. or Mrs., Mr. or Mrs., what you're doing is you're putting yourself at a lower level. We're not higher. We're not lower. We're the same. And I think that if you begin with that idea, I'm not begging for anything. I can't demand anything. We need to look at this a 50-50 thing. And all I'm looking for is a yes or a no. And a yes is great. And a no is fine because we can both move on. And the fourth one that, I, that I, we've kind of hinted around, and this is, I stole this from Donald Miller, who wrote this great book called Story Brand. If you hadn't read it, I recommend it. He talks about being the guide and not the hero. And so, um, and he uses Star Wars, you know, like Luke Skywalker's the hero and Yoda was the guide and, and Luke was the one out front, but Yoda's the one that knew what to do. And so what, what I realized in a lot of sales was that the sales guy wants to be the hero. They want to come back and ring the bell and say, I made this sale and yeehaw and blah, 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 bullshit. And, but the reality is if you're not the hero in that situation, you're the loser. And nobody wants to be the loser. And so therefore, we won't take no for an answer, which is a terrible strategy. Um, it means you push too long. Maybe you put too much pressure on people. You chase people too long and become a pest. What I would say is you need to let your prospect be the hero for making the right decision. And if they say, yes, let's work together, you say, man, that's great. Thank you. I look forward to working with you. That's, I think you made a great choice as opposed to, I win. I'm so smart, which you would not believe. There are salespeople really do that shit. It's terrible. So those are kind of the things. I mean, that's kind of how I put it in frame. But I would also say, again, those are life lessons. You know, you talk about the, you know, I'm not the right fit for everybody. This is something, I don't know why I was always kind of good about this with dating, but I remember, especially like in my twenties, you know, I would talk to girlfriends who would go out on a first date with some guy and they'd call me and they'd say, oh God, it was kind of terrible. Like I am not interested. But then three or four days later when he hadn't called them, they would be super upset. And I'd be like, you don't even like this guy. You and can't break up with me. I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> yeah. we, do this where we, we so desperately want that external affirmation so we chase things that aren't really for us. We chase prospects that aren't really for us, but we also chase opportunities. We chase people, all kinds of things in our life. And I, this is the thing that I think is so interesting about sales in general, but especially your approach is you teach these principles that are, are like universal to just life. Somebody stole my book title. It's Daniel Pink, To Sell as Human right? And I just want people to act like humans and not like sales lizards or sales vultures. How can we just treat other people like humans and be, be a real, a fine human being? The best version, which is one that's interest, works hard to be interested more than interesting. That's a good, I remember the first time I heard that, you know, the, the try to try to be interested, not interesting. And there's something so incredibly powerful about it, but also liberating. If you take that pressure off yourself to actually just be curious, be a curious human, life becomes much more satisfying and our relationships become more satisfying. Deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Much deeper. 
and, can, and I offer I a, can I offer a strategy for doing that with people? Because you're like, well, that's neat. How the hell do you do it? And so one of the things I teach my clients is when you're talking to somebody, not necessarily a sales call, but if you're a cocktail party or a dinner party or you're meeting with somebody just to learn more about them, I, I use this, this structure called present, past, future. Tell me what's going on in your life now, or if it's a business call, what do you do in your job right now? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And you can ask a hundred questions around that. What about this? What about that? What's bothering you the most? Blah, blah, blah. And then you go back and say, well, how did you get there? What's your story? By the way, I know you, Casey, and you have a very interesting story. How often do you get to tell your story? Well, you've got a podcast, so you can tell your story pretty often. But how often does somebody say, tell me your story, Casey? Not that often. And it's, it's very interesting to me because the people that I make very close relationships with very quickly are the people that ask those questions. And also when they are asked also share. So there is that component of being willing to kind of be vulnerable and open as well. The last piece is to say, so let's pretend things are going well future. The last, let's pretend things are going well. And it's a couple of years from now. What will you be doing then? I wish I'd known half this shit when I was dating. Um, I was terrible. <laughs> Probably the, the tweet that I have done that has gotten the best response ever is once I was listening to my friends talking and I, let's be honest, I'd had a couple glasses of wine and I, and I posted, if men just asked 10% more questions, they would get laid 10 times 10 more times often. more often. Isn't that amazing? I know. Right. Damn it. It's true in marriage, by the way, too. I mean, just it's not just dating. It's, it's all the time. If we would just slow down, have real conversation. My wife would go, right, you dumbass. Why don't you ask me more questions? I mean, I, I don't do marriage coaching. My wife would laugh. Anybody else would laugh. Anyone who did marriage coaching, because so I don't do that, but or life coaching, but yeah, just, and there's, my father taught me that. And he said there, he said, Walker, there's so much to learn from other people. And, and he was great at asking questions. And somebody would sit down and people would say, my father was so charming. And da, da, da. Well, you would watch, if you watch my dad in a conversation, he didn't talk that much. He just asked questions. And he's the one that said, work real hard to be interested, not so hard being interesting. Of course, I was 31 at the time. I wish you'd tell me when I was 12 and I would have listened. Would you though? <laughs> <laughs> way too often at that age we're like oh, uh, shut, up, dad. shut up dad you dumbass I hang on his every word now that he wrote so okay so i know that people listening are going to want to l- learn more about you and what you do so if if someone's listening and they want to have a conversation with you about about sales about who knows life or business where should they f- come find you I'm on LinkedIn and my information is there. You can also look at my website at Walker. It's walkermckay.com, W-A-L-K-E-R-M-C-K-A-Y.com. So between LinkedIn and that website are good. I have a newsletter that goes out once a week, except for this week because I dorked and didn't send it. I have a podcast. And so I know I'm not supposed to give all these different things, but I have some, the No BS, go ahead. Thank you. So it's called the No BS Sales School Podcast with Walker McKay. So if you look in like Apple Podcasts, um, there's there's several handfuls of No BS something or other. But if you look up like Walker McKay and Apple Podcasts, it'll come up. There's one called No BS Mattress Sales. That's not me. No BS Sales School with Walker McKay. 
and um, would love for you to listen and share it with somebody if you think it's worth sharing. And it, it is a, it's a great show. You interview some great people and there, there is no BS. It's always very direct. The conversation is very real in a way that is, I think, really refreshing when it comes to a lot of kind of business content out there. Okay. So I have three questions for you. So first one, what is, what makes you grateful to be an entrepreneur? That I get to make the choices. And that's the reason I felt so stifled when I had a business partner is the things that I thought were important. He didn't think were important and vice versa, but that I get to make the choices and decide what the culture is going to be and what we're going to do and who we're going to work with and who we're not going to work with. That to me is the best thing. And then I have the freedom to do that and screw it up as badly as I want. Okay. What is one resource? Um, it can be a book, it can be a video, it can be a thing that you found to be just really helpful for you in your kind of journey as a founder. All right. So this is something I found recently and that I just think is awesome. And it's a podcast called The Founders. If you look up, it's got a black background. It's guy's name is S-E-N-R-A is his last name. I think it's like Tom Senra. I'm looking it up right now. I paid, there's a subscription to this. There's a, there's small dollops you can get for free. I paid a hundred bucks for a year of access. This guy is reading, he's read 270 biographies or autobiographies. And he does a quick blurb, an hour long thing of what he's pulled out of those biographies and autobiographies that founders and entrepreneurs need to know. So cool. And so like, I just listened to one. And so all these books that I would like, I just listened to one about Sam Walton. Before that, I listened to one about the guy who founded Dunkin' Donuts, who then let his son ascend to power. His son was an MBA with no real experience and ran the damn thing into the ground. And he didn't have the courage to fire his son as he watched him ruin the business. So, but I've listened to this all the time. So I've listened to about 12 biographies in the last two weeks. And it is fascinating. I highly recommend it. If you're a founder and you're growing a business, I get excited when I listen. I get good ideas. I've gotten good quotes. So highly recommend The Founders. It's called the podcast called The Founders, black background, white font. I think it's David or Tom Senra, S-E-N-R-A. Look it up. Spend the hundred bucks. That sounds awesome. Um, and last question. If you could go back in time, and give yourself advice right before you started right before you started your business what would you tell yourself you know there's so many damn things um the one and I, i'm i'm working on a book right now and i had to go through an exercise and so i create this lady who's helped me write a book help me write this thing called keep moving and that's what i would offer advice to anybody who's struggling is keep moving one step in front of the other just keep freaking going um, cause as soon as you curl up in a ball and think you just can't go any further, you're probably right. And I've just had, and I get, I get kicked in the teeth a lot. It doesn't hurt as much anymore cause my teeth are kind of bashed in, but that has been the number one thing. It's, it's part of resilience in my mind. It's just keep moving. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Keep moving. Things will open up as you go along. Maybe the message is you're in the wrong spot. But keep moving, keep making changes, keep doing what you have to do. Yeah. Well, and the, the only way out is through, right? Yeah. Right. Thank you for this, Walker. I think this will be very helpful conversation. And seriously, everyone follow Walker, sign up for his newsletter. And if you need help with sales, even if you think that he's going to be too expensive, 
go have a call with him because he has uh, transformed my sales skills and I learn so, so much from him. And I will say, I don't listen to his advice. He tells me that I, after two times of giving him credit for something, I'm allowed to take it. I'm, I'm allowed to, you know, claim it as mine. I don't because I just can't. It's too good. I have to give it credit where credit is due. Thank you, Casey. It's been really fun. And y'all don't forget to write a review of this podcast for Casey to increase the visibility so more people can hear this stuff. I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders Podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time.